So today we are going to talk about something that is uh, tough to talk about, but it's pretty normal in today's culture, especially in the church now, which is divorce. Um, many years ago, I think the church rate for divorce was at 50%. Didn't look much different uh, than the world. And the Bible has a lot to talk about that. Um, and I re- want to remind you, too, that the, the books that Paul writes, while they're pretty tough, um, they're pretty blunt, they're pretty straight to the point, he's just reiterating what Jesus spoke in the Gospels. So we can't separate them. I've said it often before that um, I've heard it said that, you know, we just want to take all of Paul's letters out and just stick to the Gospels because it's nicer um, or easier. Um, but we can't do that because all 66 books are inspired um, um, by God. So we're going to tackle this, um, and I'm going to be moving and shaking a little bit because it's a short verse, but there's, there's a lot of context in it. Um, and I want to start out by kind of looking at the, the end and starting with the end, um, at the beginning. If you can turn to, uh, Romans 8, 1 through 12, you can see it up on, on the board here. Now the assumption in a church is that we have about 50%, um, of people have been divorced know of someone who's been divorced or parents were divorced, divorce has affected your family in some way, shape, or form. And when you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are clean. And that's what Romans 8, 1 through 2 says. says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus Because the law of the spirit of life of Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, through Jesus Christ, you are now no longer condemned eternally. No matter what you do, no matter what sin uh, you commit. You are saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We see that in Ephesians 1. And nothing you can do can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Go to 1 John 1 9. Very famous verse in this regard. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, if you have had a divorce in the past, there's many different reasons. Um, typically, we see that 80% of divorces we see are just centered around people's happiness. And that's kind of the general that I'm going to talk about. The other 20% are extreme cases. So um, harm, abuse, uh, things that need separation to protect self from harm. Okay? So I'm going to talk primarily about the 80%, the general um, reason Americans are, are getting divorced today. Um, and we'll touch a little bit on, on the other cases as well. Um, I would tell you that if you have questions in that regard for very specific cases, 
please come see me after. Um, that way we can we could talk about specific cases. Um, again, I'm going to speak on more of the general um, viewpoint. All right, so let's start out in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, okay? So what is the purpose of marriage? I'm going to talk about what the purpose of marriage is, okay? Verse 22, 522, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. If you pay attention to 20, verse 23, because the head, husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. There's a correlation between the husband um, and Christ, okay, and then the wife and the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave, herself, gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. I want to focus in on verse 32 a little bit. This is for this case, for this sermon. Verse 32 is the primary verse that I want to focus on. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. A marriage between a husband and a wife is a picture and reflection of Christ in the church. It is not about our happiness. It's about holiness. It's not about here on this earth. It's about eternal implications. Marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church, and the purpose of it is to glorify God and advance the kingdom. The purpose of marriage is ministry. And I want you to think about, I'm going to use a Francis Chan uh, illustration. I want you to think about a long string across here, okay? And that string is eternity. At the very beginning is our time here on earth, okay? This little piece the string goes all the way over there, that's eternity. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. And right here, we make decisions in disobedience for our own happiness that make us happy from maybe here to here. You see that move? From here to here, okay? 
But those decisions have implications for all of eternity in regards to glorifying God and advancing the kingdom. Because marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church. And the world is watching our marriages and saying, what is that all about? It may look like Christ or it may not look like Christ. It may push people away from Christ or it may lead people to Christ. But the purpose is to glorify him and reflect him. And this mystery is profound, it says. I'm talking about Christ in the church. So is marriage eternal? Are you married when you go to heaven? Well, let's look at Luke 20, 34 through 36. find it here. I like to use the old school Bibles, so I know we can switch fast these days with these technologies. Verse 34, Jesus told them, the children of this age marry and are given in a marriage, but those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry or are given into marriage. Sorry, it's a little windy up here. For they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. So marriage is only for this time on earth. It does not go into eternity. We in America in the church have kind of made marriage an idol. We put a lot of emphasis on this, we got Valentine's Day coming up, this romantic picture of marriage. The lovey-dovey, um, and that's true, that's a, that's a part of it. Song of Solomon is there in the Bible to teach us the romantic way to have a marriage, to have a relationship with your wife or husband. But that's only for this little part. What about eternity? Marriage is not eternal. It doesn't last forever. But the implications on the focus of your marriage does last forever. The implications of it. Are we seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior through our marriages? Because God has a specific sphere of influence that he calls us to in Psalm 128. God, man, marriage, children, church, community, state, and nation. And that's the funnel of discipleship. That's the funnel of it. And we can't skip those steps. So marriage is not, 
eternal, it's only for a time while we're on earth. Marriage is not for our happiness, but it's about our holiness. We talked about that. Now I want to turn to our passage today. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. So this is where we're at in 1 Corinthians And Reagan spoke upon the principles of marriage last week. I do want to point out a word to the unmarried. I say to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them that they remain as I am. Paul was single, by the way. Paul was not married. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. That first part, though, Paul says... In regards to the gospel, it's better to be single. Why is that? No, not peace of mind. Close. Close. I could tell you as as a married man with a with a wife and, and kids and, and work and in ministry, you know, when I would love to take a group of kids out to Buffalo Wild Wings for discipleship. My wife would be at home looking at me like, what? Really? You've been gone all day, and you're just going to go hang out at Buffalo Wild Wings? Right? So, singleness is a gift. A lot of times we struggle with contentment. When we're single, we want to be married and marry people. Let's be honest. Sometimes when you're married, you kind of want to be single. When you want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings at 10 o'clock at night, okay? I say that jokingly, but um, you know what I mean here. So 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. I say to the unmarried, I'm sorry, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Those are pretty tough words. When you deal with cases of extreme extreme abuse, um, things that are out of your control, things that are not normal marital differences or preferences, you know, a lot of times in marriage we can be, well, we are, all of us, are selfish. We want our own wants, our own desires. Um... In cases of abuse and things of that nature, it seems as if Paul is saying that it's choosing separation and not divorce. Now that brings up a point. Because what we didn't talk about is the beginning stages. Which is making sure that before you get married, that you are marrying someone that is 
first in Christ. I've heard it said before that, um, and I'm thinking of my daughters in this, is uh, a young lady's heart should be uh, so hidden in Christ that a man has to go through Christ to get to her. Okay? And so when we marry, and not in that context, we are still called to be to remain married or be separated and not to remarry. Otherwise, it's called adultery. That is what the scriptures are saying. Now, if <clears throat> that may be honoring the Lord through obedience for the implications of eternity. So, yes, okay. So now we're like, well, that sucks, right? But remember, in the context of Here's earth, and your obedience on earth has implications for eternity. So you might have unhappiness here. Well, people might come up to you and say, well, why, why, are, you, why are you remaining single? Well, I'm obeying the Lord. And they might say, what? Let me, let me know about this, Lord. Let me, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. That's not American. Now, Jesus does permit, when you look into the Gospels, to dig a little deeper, he does permit divorce in cases of adultery. Okay? So in cases of adultery... Divorce can happen, and you can remarry. So I'm going to turn to Matthew 5, 31 through Starting with verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give, it, give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So it seems to say, Jesus is saying that in cases of adultery, you are permitted to divorce. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the holistic picture. And I'm talking about the 80% here. Your decisions over here on this earth have implications for eternity. So as it may be permitted, it might not be what's best. It might not be what glorifies God the most. I'm going to go up a little bit to Matthew 5, 27 to 28. 
I want to put it in perspective a little bit about adultery and what it means. Matthew 5, 27, 28. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wait a minute. Well, if that's the case, does everybody committed adultery? Maybe everybody should get divorced. That would really glorify God and advance the kingdom, wouldn't it? That's sarcasm. That's not glorifying God and advancing the kingdom, is it? Because if the world looks at the church and says, wow, 90% of you are divorced. I don't want that. What are you doing? So technically speaking, if you've ever lusted over another person while married, you have committed adultery of the heart. Are there different consequences for the physical act of adultery and the mental act of adultery? Yes, there's different consequences, but the sin is the same. There's statistics out there that say 70 to 80% of everybody in here is watching porn. That's adultery. This is kind of why Jesus with the Pharisees and the woman who's caught in adultery, they kind of circle around her and they're getting ready to stone her to death. Remember that parable in the, in the Gospels? And Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. Who threw the stone? Nobody. The only one that could have thrown the stone was Jesus. And did he? He didn't throw the stone. No, he didn't. So that's kind of a run-through of the biblical look at, at marriage, divorce, adultery. And so I have five points um, in closing. And I want to focus on Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. So, Tim, if you can go back. get that here. Uh, you got it? First point. If you confess your sin, repent, Jesus will forgive you of your sin. Two. The purpose of marriage is to reflect Christ's love for the church to a world that is full of sin. Today in America, we have a great opportunity to re reflect Christ in our commitment to staying married. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is not eternal. 
Our marriages are so much bigger than our happiness. How will your marriage have eternal implications? How is it reflecting Christ and leading others to know him and his precious gift of salvation? Everyone in America, it seems, is divorcing. Why? I believe it's because we don't understand and really believe the word commitment, what it actually means. At our vows, we say for better or for worse. Unless it's too worse, then I'm out. We see that in sports culture all the time, especially with kids. Especially with kids in today's day. Transfer portal in the NCAA right now. If you guys know about sports, everybody's transferring. Probably 10% of them are transferring for good reasons. You know, coach was abusive or whatever. But 90% of them are leaving because they don't want to do the extra work and they don't want to go through hard things. They don't want to bust through adversity. They want it easy. They want an easy road. I'll tell you what, marriage is not easy. Marriage is extremely hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's difficult. In our society today, when they go through difficult things, the tendency is to just run. Give up. Take the easy road. The picture of Christ in the church is this. Christ died on the sin or on the cross for our sin. Right? Christ died on the cross for our sin. When we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we became one with Christ in a marriage. Every time we sin, we commit adultery towards Jesus Christ. Does Jesus divorce us? He doesn't. He never does. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In our lack of commitment, in our selfishness, in our lack of faithfulness, he is faithful unconditionally and sacrificially. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. Just like Christ on the cross. He gave up everything for the greatest reward, which is what? Salvation for humanity for all who believe. The moment you sin, he could have been like, well, divorce. Deuces. I'm cool with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We don't need anybody else. But he doesn't. He's faithful and he's true. So yes, in cases of adultery, you are permitted to divorce. But what eternal implications may that have? Each specific situation is different. We 
But I'll tell you what, when we look at marriage in light of eternity, in our commitment, in our obedience, in our unconditional and sacrificial love to our spouse that we made when we said our vows, when we put the ring on, your, your obedience to Christ, your commitment isn't even to your spouse. Did you know that? Your commitment is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says you be committed to your spouse. You put the ring on, you're locked in. For better or for worse. While we're here on this earth, whether it's happiness or not happiness, your obedience leads to glorifying God and advancing the kingdom. Our obedience. So in closing, church, family, the challenge and the charge is are people looking at our marriages and seeing that mystery that is profound, that is a picture of Christ and the church, unconditional, sacrificial, are you willing Take up your cross for the gospel. Loving your spouse unconditionally and sacrificially is taking up your cross for the gospel. It's commitment. And guess what? Our children are watching. Our children are watching. All of our children are watching. Commitment is not something our kids understand. I tell you, my kids don't understand it. Every time they want to quit something, they don't come to me. They don't. You ever notice that? The kids always go to the nurturer. I mean, for the most part, when I was growing up, if I wanted to get out of something, right, I never went to my dad. Never went to my dad. I just wasn't getting nothing. I know it wasn't going anywhere. My daughter Layla knows that with me. She's like, I'm not going to ask you. You're the no guy. And so he, he goes to, to mom and, you know, and Tina will actually say this. Like, hon, the kids always try to manipulate me when you're gone. They're always manipulating me. And that's pretty satanic, actually. If you think about it, if you go back to the garden, Right? Who did Satan go to tempt? Eve. Because Satan knows how the man and the woman are wired. Kids need nurturing. Without the nurturing, they're going to be messed up. Kids need the father and the... Without that, they're going to be messed up. Okay? They need both. And they need to see commitment. They need to see commitment. So this week, as we go out, let's be aware of a world that's watching. And through our marriages, uh, see people come to know Jesus as their Savior. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for just your word, even though it's tough, Father. Um. We know it's a lamp and a light to 
us who are trying to live in a dark world, Father, and follow you um, with our lives, with obedience. Uh, we just pray for help. We pray for your spirit to be on us and in us um, as you already are, Father, and uh, help us to live in your light, your glory, um, in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.